United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and I'm excited about this week's show as we splash around in different areas. We first bring you part two of our discussion with my mentor, the digital sports learning and coaching platform that has teamed up with United Soccer Coaches to create this all new Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma. Once again, Ian Barker, the Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches, leads the discussion with Sarah McQuaid, my mentor's coach development mentor with more than 20 years of experience working in education, sports, and sports coach education, as well as James Baker, a director at my mentor. In today's segment, again, segment two of three, they break down the three blocks of this diploma. One, an introduction to mentoring. Two, coach profiling and supported practice in the field and three reflection and development after segment two of three is completed we go back to the naia where we find the dunny way again matt dunn with back-to-back naia titles at the women's level with kaiser university in florida the dunny way matt dunn is on the program and then by the way, we only have two more members of this current 30 under 30 class to meet. Both of them are named Omar. We meet Omar Zini and he is a media and social influencer. Omar Zini, part of the 30 under 30 class, will wrap up our show and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. If you listened last week, you heard us talk about my mentor teaming up with United Soccer Coaches to bring a new mentoring soccer coaches diploma. We were joined then and we're joined now by Sarah McQuaid, my mentor's coach development mentor, and James Baker, the director at my mentor, as well as our director of coaching, Ian Barker, who makes these collaborations work. We welcome back to the fold first Sarah McQuaid, my mentor's coach development mentor for setting the table on why this relationship was so important for my mentor and United Soccer Coaches. We'll start with you, Sarah. Thank you. You know, I, I've had the, the good opportunity to meet with Ian. Golly, I'm going back seven or eight years now. And we've had an ongoing conversations about the coach development agenda. And slowly but surely, we've managed to integrate this notion of coach learning and coach development within and across various different diplomas and the director of coaching. Up until the point that about two or three years ago, we actually launched the coach developer diploma, which is really designed to help those coaches who are responsible for supporting the learning and development of coaches, sort of, you know, whether that's sort of formal and informal and mentoring is 
one piece of that coach developer diploma. What we have had the opportunity to do working with James is to actually start to do a much deeper dive into the the concept and application of mentoring. Because this sort of, you know, doesn't matter whether it's a webinar, a podcast or a license, whatever learning is extended is only going to take you so far. A mentor who can provide some work-based supportive practice can really help with the application of that learning in the field and just, just start to help make the learning stick a little bit more. So what we've had the opportunity to do is to bring you know, these two worlds together. And I, I think the platform that my mentor has and some of the learning that we've taken over this last year or so in COVID has given us a phenomenal opportunity to create a program that has got a really broad geographical spread. So we can actually reach all coaches in all different spaces and provide them with access to this, I think, phenomenal learning. So traditional coaching education, certainly more in the X's and O's, coach development, coach education, it's sort of licensing, it's badges. It's, it's almost what I call vertical. You sort mm. of go from F to E to D, CBA. But one of the things that you've been developing that we've been working in, certainly part of James's program, is more what I call horizontal. It's more almost a certificate type notion. You get some expertise in mental health. You get some expertise in performance analysis. Looking at the course in terms of sort of horizontal as well, can we just touch exclusively on what is in the intro to mentoring segment? And then I'll come back and ask you about the other two segments. Can you talk a little bit about the, the first segment exclusively? Sure. So the first section really is looking at providing an introduction to mentoring. So just start to chart the history of mentoring in sort of a much broader scope. And then what we do is, is a little bit of a deep, deeper dive into how mentoring has been positioned within sports coaching and sports coach development. What we then do is to look at, well, who is this person within the context of sport? What are the knowledge and the skills and the expertise that they need to be effective? And really that effectiveness starts with the ability to build and nurture high quality relationships. So we do do a deep dive into that in terms of, you know, what are the key features and how do we develop those high quality relationships? And then what we end up doing is touching on, well, what then is the mentoring cycle? So I know that we've spoken about this whole sort of supporting learning by design and rather than accident. So what we then look at is the process that new mentors can follow to support coaches and help them take some of the learning they're taking from the badges and the certificates and these sort of vertical learning towers into the field. And so before we get to coach profiling and supported practice in the field, coach profiling sounds a little ominous for a person like me. I, I do have a question for James. James, in a very ingrained traditional soccer culture like the UK, certainly in England, these types of skills, how are they being enjoyed? What is the response you're getting from, from a European market? I'm just curious as, as we go into these mentoring, leadership, mental health issues, are these as interesting to European-based coaches as they are to US coaches? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we are a sort of a global audience in terms of the people that have signed up and registered to my mentor over the last 18 months with the pandemic. 
the courses and, and that sort of all-rounded approach to the way we deliver content um, and the way we deliver it in terms of the interactive nature. They've really enjoyed it and the, the feedback's been very positive. And also to see how they actually utilising those skills moving forward. So that's, you know, in the European, you know, Australia, obviously with you guys in the US, it's been really fantastic to see the diverse nature of who we get to actually enrol on the content and the courses. Um, and you see that within the forums and stuff like that. So it's been it's been really pleasing to see. So Sarah, back to this again, for a, a diet-in-the-wall traditional soccer coach like myself, the second segment of the course, you're going to profile me and you're going to support me in my practice on the field. So can you can you give me a little insight about what that might look like for the second part of the course? It does kind of sound kind of ominous when you put it like that. But really, what we want mentors to be able to do is help coaches facilitate what in essence is a self-benchmarking exercise. So what they what we really are encouraging them to do is to think about what's the context in which I work? Who am I working with? What's the age and stage of development of those players? And then what we want to encourage those coaches to think about is what are the skills, qualities and capabilities I need to be unbelievably effective in this context, in my space, with my players because the idea of mentoring is that if I can help you become better at some of these things then what we're more likely to do is to help coaches help players have more positive athlete experiences and improve performance so the coach profiling is designed to help coaches compare and contrast what they've already got with what we believe they might need to become highly effective. So we're just really drawing the comparisons between where they are now and where they'd like to be. And where they'd like to be, I tend to sort of call this excellent practice because uh, mediocre practice isn't good enough for me. So really the aspirational bar is being set um, at the excellent level. So once we've then established what are the opportunities? We then create a professional development plan, which is designed to help them work on the things that they've identified. But also remembering the things that they've identified that they want to develop aren't just their weaknesses, because counterintuitively, the biggest opportunity for our development, our professional development lies in our strengths, not necessarily in our weaknesses. So what we want mentors to help coaches identify is the really good stuff that they can get even better. So it's the sort of strengths to super strengths, whilst also working a little remedially as well. And that's that, that sort of professional development planning piece, which is sort of the journey planner from where I am now to where I need to go. On that, Sarah, it's just more around the, so obviously I've co-written this with you, so I know the answer, but just for everyone else, is there anything you could just tell us about the application of, of what they're learning in the content, how we can help bring that to life to support them? Oh, okay. Workshop bits just to show oh. that, and also sort of the maybe even like the sort of questions and the tasks within the content to sort of really help that application. What we do do is so, whilst the online courses are packed with information and case studies um, and different tools, what we are going to do is to use the webinars to really help coaches explore what it is that they're actually doing in terms of the process. So what is it that happens when I actually sit down and engage in this sort of self-assessment, self-benchmarking, profiling exercise? Um, and what we will do, and, and the, the beauty of this virtual environment and the beauty of breakout spaces is that we can 
wander off into our own spaces and actually start to practice some of the skills that we want to, to apply with our coaches. So it is, it's engaging, it's dynamic, it's full of practice. And again, what we want to ensure is that coaches are familiar with the concept and the tools before they work in the field with their own coaches. Okay. So Sarah, the, the final block in the course is the reflection and development piece. Mm. And I know you and I have worked a lot on this notion of reflection. It's interesting, I was watching a show the other day and Sir Alex Ferguson said that in early parts of his career, he never reflected. He only looked forward and that was his kind of aggressive attitude. But he did admit that later in his career, he started looking back at the mistakes he made, the successes he had and putting them in the context of his future performance. So can we talk a little bit about this final block in terms of the, the power of reflection and development? It's interesting, and, and having been involved in education for all of my professional life and coach education for the last 20 years, I have designed and delivered more courses than you can shake a stick at. And there is always a question at the end of the course from all learners, which says, what do I do now? So much like we are helping mentors create a sort of an ongoing professional development plan, what we want to do is to ensure that mentors have the opportunity to commit to this sort of ongoing professional development for themselves. So what we want to do is really help them undertake this sort of self-assessment and self-benchmarking so that they can identify their strengths and opportunities for development and so that we can help them identify how they can continue to get better and how their mentoring relationships and programs will continue to get better. And again, that will be quite a dynamic and interactive webinar where responsibility for the thinking lays very, very much with the mentors. I can certainly attest to the fact that in the work that you and I have done together, and I know this is born out in the My Mentor platform, is that we do a lot of what I would call contextual education. So we challenge the individual to look at their environment. They're not necessarily a college coach or a grassroots coach or a semi-pro coach coaching men or women. Everybody's got a different environment. And I think asking people to reflect on their experiences and put it back into their context is a, is a really powerful part of the course. Well said, Ian, as we're not done, we have one more show. We're so pleased to be joined again next week by Sarah McQuaid, my mentors, coach development mentor, James Baker and Ian Barker with that lovely handoff to end it. Sarah, with that, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about what to expect in our final wrap-up show next week? I think there's some lovely opportunities to come back to not necessarily the course, but the impact of the learning that can be taken from the course for mentors, with their coaches, and for the players that those coaches work with. Perfect. Sarah, James, Ian, we'll see you back here next week for more on this exciting collaboration between my mentor as they team up with the United Soccer Coaches to bring us a new Mentoring Soccer Coaches Diploma. So that's right. We'll wrap up the three-part segment with my mentor, Sarah, John, and Ian. Next week, when we return, we'll talk to Matt Dunn, the Dunny Way, 10 years at Kaiser University in the NAIA, and he's taken the Seahawks to five Final Fours. They've won back-to-back -back national championships, just getting it done about a month ago. And Matt Dunn and his staff was named the NAIA Women's National Staff of the Year. The Dunny Way, Matt Dunn, when we return. 
college coaches. Make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for college services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. As promised, we're starting to talk to our national championship coaches. Of course, we've already heard from Chris Grassi. We already talked to Santa Clara. Now we're moving our way into NAIA, and we've got a repeat guest, Matt Dunn, known as Dunny, 10 years as the head coach at Kaiser University. Rough life in West Palm Beach. He played there. He was an assistant coach there. I think he's been at Kaiser longer than he's been anywhere else by way of Sheffield. And the main man, Dunny, the Dunny way returns. Matt Dunny has won the NAIA championship for Kaiser University women, the Seahawks, back-to-back years. And by the way, he's been there 10 years. He's been to five Final Fours. He was runner-up one year. And the last two years, he's been the NAIA national champion for women's soccer. The Dunny way, Matt Dunn, welcome back to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this year because this year, different than any other year because of the pandemic, talk about everything that you went through, how you dealt with the schedule change, how the tournament was set up. You have the floor. Really paint a picture for what your university had to do and what the NAI had to do to get you to a point where you could be a back-to-back champ. Yeah, it was very different. As a conference, we opted to play in the fall. So we played our conference season and our conference tournament in the fall. And then the NAIA moved the national championship to the spring. So we came in in August. Obviously, we went from August all the way right through to the end of April. So it was a very, very long season. In the fall, it was difficult at times because, you know, we was contract tracing and that would take out dorm rooms of girls. So some some weeks you were missing five players because they're isolating. And we had to get tested prior to the beginning of the season, again, then at the break, and then again after the break. So there was a lot of testing going on and a lot of uncertainty and knowing are we going to get all the way through the season in the fall? We did manage to get through it. It was a grind. Like I said, we lost players throughout the year to either contact tracing or positive tests, but we just carried on soldiering on. We managed to get a full conference schedule played and a tournament and finish that up in November and then went on break to then come back in January and start all over again. It made it a little bit difficult for us to play games in the in the spring because everybody else was playing their conference schedules. So we had to pick up games when we could. It meant sometimes we were going 20 to 25 days between games because we just couldn't get any games in. And sometimes it hurt us because you couldn't get a, a rhythm going. 
but also it helped us in terms of rest and recovery. And each game, we were pretty much very fresh. Once we got all the way down to the tournament starting, we ended up going out to Missouri to play our opening round. And our first game actually was a COVID no contest because the other team prior to their departure couldn't play. So we went to Missouri for one week and only played one game. We got that win and came home. And then we went to the final site where we were testing every other day prior to each game as we moved on all the way to the final. So the season as a whole was very, very long. It took its toll on everybody just because it was just practice each day and the girls got tired of listening to me and, and vice versa. It was very difficult. Had a lot of days off, a lot of different kind of practices to normal just to keep everybody engaged. But by the end, it was obviously really worth it to get all the way to the end and go back to back. Across the whole year we improved as the year went on in the fall we were still trying to find our feet you know being a, a champion the year before we weren't really firing on all cylinders in the fall and then once we hit spring something just clicked that right it's time for us to start playing and we just got better as we went on so what was your final record Dunny? and then tell us who you met in the semi-finals and the final and tell us where it was and when you were crowned champion. So again, your final record, including the fall, and then who you met in the semifinals and the finals. And if you don't mind, break down those games for us. Actually, Dean, it started in the quarterfinals. The final site location was Foley, Alabama for the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final. So our first game was actually against somebody we'd not played before ever, a strong University of Cumberland's team who was seeded sixth. That had caused a few upsets along the way during the season in their Mid-South Conference. And on paper, it looked like it was going to be a very, very difficult game for us. Uh, we did a lot of research, did a lot of planning, because like I said earlier, we had a lot of time in between games. And we actually executed our game plan perfectly. Uh, came away from that game with a 6-0 victory, scoring three goals in the first 15 minutes against a team that was not really giving up goals. It was a great performance all round, a great way to start the final site for us to get us kind of in a groove and to show people that we were there to play. We moved on from that game to face Spring Arbor University, who we played in the semi-final two years ago. It was a very interesting game. They'd had some injuries and they'd already played a game more than us because they were a lower seed. And we came out good. We scored early, but we just couldn't get the second goal to kill off the game. And they battled and battled and they got a penalty kick, which equalized and then caused the game to be end-to-end -end where either team could have snatched it, went through overtime, double overtime. And then we were at penalty kicks where this time for us, we were fortunate to win 4-3 on penalty kicks. After the semi-final, we then faced a familiar foe an enemy in William Carey. William Carey beat us in the final two years ago. So we were out for a little bit of revenge. They were the number one seed. Between them and us over the past three to four years, it's been back and forth who the number one is, who's the number one seed, who's the champion. So we knew going into the game that we were going to have our hands full. It was a very, very good close game. They took the lead uh, on a mistake by us, which gave them a lot of, a lot of energy that we thought we were wearing them down. In the past, if whoever scored first in the games we played out of the 14 meetings has gone on to win the game. So when we went a goal behind, we knew we were in for a bit of a uphill battle, but we didn't panic. We just carried on doing what we were doing, tied the game up at halftime 1-1. 
and then went back and forth for the whole second half. Both teams just putting in great performances, both goalkeepers making saves, couldn't be split. And we go to overtime. And in the first overtime period, we had a nice, uh, nice move down the left-hand side and we got a one-touch finish in the box. And that was game over, 2-1, you know, and let the scenes begin where everybody invaded the field. So it was a nice way to finish off the season, uh, to win a final in overtime. It's just that little bit spicier than just winning it in normal time. And then when you got back to Kaiser with COVID and everything kind of starting to relax a little bit, particularly in Florida, was there a little bit of celebration? Were you able to enjoy it at all with students or were they not around? No, the campus had been cleared because uh, we actually missed graduation. So we had to do our own kind of little mini graduation for our seniors because we were on the road. So by the time we got back here, there was a couple of sports teams left because baseball still had to go to their tournament lacrosse men's soccer was already at their tournament so campus was pretty quiet so we got back late that evening I'm sure the girls got together and celebrated the end of the year we enjoyed it with our families but then the next day we were back in here planning the three-peat hopefully I love that planning the three-peat indeed and you know it's funny I'm friends with John Harks who played at Sheffield Wednesday and now doing a great job with the Greenville Triumph and USL League One and one of the things he did tell me about it is he loved the experience but it was really rainy over there. West Palm Beach is like Treasure Island, right? I mean, clearly coming over from Sheffield, you must love it. You went to college there, right? You're an assistant coach there, now 10 years there. Is this home for you? Is this the final stop here, Dunny? Uh, yeah, you know, where else? Paradise. We have a little recruiting saying that we live where you vacate. You know, we have a little saying that that's our kind of running joke. Been here since 2003. So almost half of my life now, I've been right here in West Palm. It's just the lifestyle, the weather, the sun. My family and kids go to school right here around the corner. They love it. Paradise for anybody that comes to visit doesn't want to leave. It's one of those places. So I love day. that line. We live and work where you vacate. Amen to that. There's certainly uh, something special about that. You know, interesting is I, I think about John Harks as well and thinking about what you're doing and your mates back in Sheffield. Do they ever give you a hard time or they're like, man, this guy's got it made. What's their take on that? No, they, they give me a hard time about calling it soccer instead of football whenever mm -hmm. I do an interview. And then they sometimes say I've got an American accent now instead of a Yorkshire accent, but it comes and goes. If I'm talking to my friends back home, then it'll be Yorkshire and the English accent, but over here, now I guess I'm Americanized where I've got my American accent on. Explain to everybody NAIA soccer, because I've heard there's NAI teams, both the women and the men, that can beat D3 teams, can beat D2 teams. And I've even heard that they can beat some D1 teams. Is that a stretch, Dunny, or is that accurate? No, I feel that that's accurate. We've got players here that maybe are non-qualifiers for Division One, but they're being recruited by Division One, but they can't go there. You know, there's different rules that we follow, but the NCAA has a bit of a different verbiage on so we get we get to pick up those players i was a 21 year old freshman when i came over here to play so you know you're getting older players or players that are a bit more experienced through where they played before coming over and i think that adds a little bit more to the standard of play at the neia i think the top five neia schools men and women could go and compete at d2 at d1 just bigger budgets bigger schools you know we're only 1,500 to a 2,000 student school. How are we going to compete with a school that's got 100,000? We're not going to in terms of facility, but play-wise, we're just as good on the day. We could give teams a good run for their money. There's a reason that 
NCAA teams are coming and taking players from NAI schools because they are that good. We have to fight that recruiting battle every year where if you've had a good season like we have, then people are coming and asking questions about your best players. It all depends on can you hold on to them. So I think the standard and the player is definitely here. It's just not spread as far across the board as NCAA is. Going back to my original question on all you had to go through and you so eloquently explained that you played in the fall, it was hard getting games in the spring. You sometimes would go 20 plus days without getting a game, but then the NAIA stepped up and got this tournament in. I'd really like you to comment on what the NAI did and what your university did to, to make it happen because I'm sure logistically it wasn't easy, but you must be super proud of the NAIA as an institution for getting it done. Oh yeah, 100%. You rewind to the beginning of COVID, you've got sports like golf, men's and women's golf. They didn't even have a national tournament last year because of COVID. Men's and women's swimming, they couldn't get a tournament in. So for the NAIA to move ours all the way into the spring and logistically what they had to go through to put it on, we were grateful for that. Our athletic training team here, what they had to go through just in order for us to be able to practice and then in order for us to fly to Missouri, we had to go through two different COVID tests just to get from here to Missouri. And then before every game, you were all tested as a group, the rapid tests. You had to do one of those and wait to see how the results fell. It was kind of like a mini game before the game, because if you had two people test positive in your group, that was it. Your run was over. You were out the tournament. Even if they were coaches or team managers, we were in a little bubble. And if two or more in your bubble tested positive, then that was the end of your run. You couldn't just put them in isolation and carry on playing. It would mean you were withdrawn from the tournament. So every time we went for the test before games, everybody's nervously looking around, waiting for these rapid tests to come in. But the NAIA, you know, they put it, they put a lot of thought and logistically on how we had to go about being in certain places to get tested, making sure we were in our bubbles and not getting mixed around with each other with practice times. So, you know, it just wasn't a normal tournament in sense of we were allowed to do things the normal way, but this whole year wasn't the normal way. So in the end, if we had to do things a little bit different in order to play, then so be it. I spoke to our golf coach and our swim coach and they were devastated that they had players that couldn't finish out their college career just because of this and we were fortunate that we were able to just a couple more questions with you a quick thought on kaiser university and your women one of the things that we were paying attention to and we were doing these webinars on covid and that was the mental health of the young women and young men on these teams and you mentioned all of the testing and tracing that has to wear on these young athletes and these young women that are also in school. Quick comment on how Kaiser supported these women and how you and your staff supported these women. It was very hard because if you had, if you're in a room with six people and your roommate tests positive, that means you've got to sit out too now, even though technically you're negative. So we had a few times where one person in the room had symptoms or tested positive and it wiped out a whole room. And it was very difficult for the, for the players that didn't test positive because if you test positive, yes, okay, I know I've tested positive. It's kind of, you own that because that's on you. But then the other people in the room who kind of just by association now have to go into isolation for 10 days and literally the food gets delivered to the room. You can't leave the room. There's only really so much TV or videos you can watch. There's only so much exercise you can do on your own. 
and we had a, a, a spell there where there was always a group of anything from two to five in isolation together just basically counting down the days. We tried to keep their spirits up by delivering yoga mats and weights so they could kind of do some sort of exercise in their rooms and we're delivering the food to them and there's people making sure, checking in, not just me, the trainer, he is checking in. Our dean of students was checking in to make sure that they were getting everything that they needed, not just nutrition-wise, but also mentally so that they could kind of function and still do their schoolwork and know that there is an end coming. Hey, you, you're going to get out of this in 10 days. Don't worry, just, just keep doing what you're doing. So I think the, the mental side really took its toll on the players that just kind of got dragged in through association for the isolation. At the end of the day, it was always about making sure that the mental health and the well-being of each student, whether they were in the isolation because of the positive test or not, was being looked after and that they knew that there were people here to support them through what was a difficult time. All right, two more questions for you. As you know, the NAIA does kind of do a good job sort of operating on their own. They do, however, remain a member of United Soccer Coaches, which allows the best coaches to be recognized for Coach of the Year. And because of that, because your university was registered when a lot of schools weren't registered during this strange COVID year, they picked the right coach to be the coach of the year for United Soccer Coaches. It's one thing to win a national championship. Usually awards come with it, but what does it mean to be the national staff again for United Soccer Coaches and AIA women? It means a lot because it's the staff award. It's not just, you know, the, the Matt Dunn Coach of the Year award because this isn't just me on my own. We got Craig, we got Mark, we got Tyron, we got Steve, we got our trainer, Emily, that, that works with us. And it's one big group. I couldn't just do this on my own. So I, I appreciate that they call it the staff of the year and not just the coach of the year, because I think that it's just as important for the assistants and trainers, et cetera, to, to be recognized as well. All right. So finally, it is the staff of the year award, but there's the famous Dunny way. And we talked about it last time. Who made that phrase and what does that mean, the Dunny way? <laughs> Not too sure. Our SID just posted it up on the on the on my bio page. I didn't even know. Obviously, Dunny's my nickname. So he just put that on there. And since then it's been on the bio page and people like himself have picked it up and had a little fun with it. Just something now that you just keep that into. He doesn't he doesn't change it. He leaves it up there because it's a bit bit of a joke between us here and the staff. So I don't mind it. <laughs> I don't mind it either because to me the Dunny way means one thing. It means you're getting it done and you're winning NAIA national champions for the Kaiser University Seahawks women's NAIA back-to-back -back champs, and they've been to five Final Fours in his ten years. Congratulations on back-to-back. -back. Good luck going for the three-peat, Dunny. And thanks for being a member of United Soccer Coaches. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you, Matt Dunn. And if you were wondering where our final two members of the current 30 under 30 class were, well, we've tracked them down. There are a couple of Omars. We'll meet the first Omar when we return. Our final guest on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. 
with that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer and again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Step. My favorite part of the show is we meet yet another member of the 30 under 30 class. We're actually almost done meeting all 30 members. Can you believe that? We're joined by a media darling, a big time player and a big time coach. Omar Zini is with me now. Omar is a goalkeeper coach at Cal State LA. He's got his own academy, his own podcast. He kind of does a little bit of everything. Omar, thanks for being with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. It's a nice intro. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, actually, several members of the 30 Under 30 class complimented your podcast. So let's start with that. Tell me about your podcast, when you started it, what it's called, where people can find it. First of all, thank you for having me. That's the first thing I'll say. Secondly, yeah, I did a, uh, you know, I played uh, four years at UC Davis. And when I was there, I studied communications and I love talking and I love, you know, you know, talking goalkeeping as most people love talking about their passions. And a guy that I used to work with, used to be my goalkeeper coach named Michael Magid. He was getting into the, like a podcast theme where he'd you know interview coaches, players, and just different types of people. So they had me on, they interviewed me. And so we spoke a little bit and then he was like, hey, like, why don't you want, you know, why don't you try to do this with us a little bit more often? And obviously you have, I have an Instagram channel that I started after I finished at UC Davis. And that, you know, gained some momentum. So I was like, yeah, I guess this makes a lot of sense. I want to be not on radio, but I love talking goalkeeping, love interviewing. At the same time, too, I have a platform that I could easily, you know, get followers from or get people to listen. So it's, it's a you know, perfect, uh, perfect marriage. Little by little, we started doing, you know, interviews here and there. I did my own thing for a little bit, probably like six months. And then we linked back up. But yeah, we've gotten some of the best uh, coaches from around the world, some of the top American goalkeepers, some goalkeepers from around the world as well, Europe. Asia to come on. And uh, it's been amazing. And I think during quarantine, it was even a good opportunity to, to get some of these coaches that, you know, would be in Europe who are, you know, during their seasons. And because of COVID, everybody was at home and essentially on house arrest. So we had an opportunity to reach out to people who we probably wouldn't have been able to in the past. And for me, that was just a great opportunity to leverage my position on social media where I have a platform and it's not just going to be my voice, it's going to be others as well. And COVID allowed me to bring all these different voices in. So I've been doing my own podcast and I have a podcast called Inside the 18 with Mike and Saskia, who Saskia is a uh, former U.S. Women's National Team goalkeeper. She was the number two at the 99 World Cup. So again, as you could probably tell, she has a lot of people she can bring on as well. So we've had Michelle Akers, we've had Brianna Scurry, we've had a lot of big timers from, from that team. So it's been great, you know, just that bridge between communication and, and interviewing and 
creating content and actual goalkeeping. Tell us your Instagram account, your Twitter account, and then reconfirm the name of the podcast one more time so we know where to find you. My channel is Pro GK Academy. I have my own podcast called Pro GK Podcast. So I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one interviews. And then I have one that's called Inside the 18 with Saskia Weber and Michael Madgett. We have our own one as well. So that one's usually a roundtable discussion with top goalkeepers. We have Matt Turner from the Revolution, who just you know made his first international camp with the cap of the national team. Check those out on anywhere you get your podcast. Tell me where you grew up, what youth club you played for, and then what years you were at UC Davis, and perhaps the highlight for you at UC Davis. Give me all that info, Omar. Grew up in Arcadia, California. I'm half Mexican, half Lebanese. So on the Mexican side, my uncle was a professional goalkeeper, played in Mexico, played for the Mexican national team, went to the Olympics with the U23s, and he was a goalkeeper himself. So I just, I mean, playing in the backyard of my house, my grandfather saw me, you know, just letting my body loose, jumping on everything. And, and he said, hey, why don't you try this guy, a goalkeeper? And I was probably like at like eight or nine years old when I started playing as a goalkeeper, playing on the field before that, but as a goalkeeper, then I started growing a lot faster than most people. So I was probably at like five, eight, five, nine at like 11 years old. So they said, okay, we'll throw you in goal. And at, the same, at that time, my uncle uh, was coming back from his professional career in Mexico. So he became our club's goalkeeper coach. So at 11 years old, I went from kind of like a semi-decent team to Sharif Zayn, which is, he's like a big name here in Pasadena, California. And he has a club called uh, like essentially FC Barcelona. And so I joined that team and there's so many, I mean, quality players that you could probably see now play in the USL. And it was just a high level. So I played there for about four years. We were one of the best teams in the country at, in, at the 11, 12 and 13 year old age. U14, we kind of fell off a little bit. Still pretty good, but not as great. And then Dean, I, we played against the U.S. Women's National Team, I think in 2000 and, I think 2006 or 2007. And they were going to the Olympics or the World Cup. I can't remember. And we beat them, I think like 3-4-1. And we went to like a PK shootout in the preparation. I saved like two or three PKs. And in that moment where I saved those PKs, the uh, goalkeeper coach for the LA Galaxy Academy, they were just launching their uh, USSDA program. And they said, he came up to me after training, after the game and was like, hey, my name is Matt Menel. I'm at LMU and I'm going to be the goalkeeper coach at LA Galaxy Academy. We'd love to have you and, and come up with the trials or, you know, even just come and sign for us. And I was like, ah, you know, all my teammates on my team, I can't leave them. You know, just gave them all that little spiel. And then um, they actually came in and took six of our players from our team. I mean, I to show you how, how uh, of a quality program we had at uh, Sharif's uh, Academy, per se, his club. And so myself and about seven of us, we went to the uh, U16 LA Galaxy, played there my junior year and senior year. And then um, after that, it was an amazing time again. We had guys like Jossie Zardes, who was on the Galaxy for you know a number of years. And then he played for uh, Columbus and the national team. So he was one of the guys. He's one year older than me. So when I was with the 16s, he was with the 18s. And then he would come down when he was at Bakersfield. I think he didn't play his freshman year. He would come down when we were the 18s and play a few games with us. Loved my time there. Again, an introduction to the professional environment. The pressure was a lot higher, I would say, than my normal club scene. There were ramifications for showing up late, not having your shoes clean, not having the proper uh, etiquette, the proper attire, using foul language. There were so many different things that like I was just so it was so new to me, but it was just kind of a, a wake me up of like, OK, this is what it, what it's like. This is the candor, the mentality you need to have to get to that next level. So after that, I actually went to an open trial at UC Davis, did well. The coach called me, offered me a, a scholarship. I ended up going there. Played at Davis my freshman year, broke my wrist in, in the captain's practice. So I was told I was going to redshirt. So I was happy about that. 
And then you had the, the starting goalkeeper who's a senior goes down with a concussion. Two games later, the backup goalkeeper like breaks his clavicle in a game, gets kind of undercut, lands on his shoulder. So there I am pretty much with a broken wrist that they had to cast before every game. And six games in, they threw me in against St. Mary's. We win that game 1-0, had a good time afterwards. And then the coach tells me, hey, be ready. You know, the, the starter, the senior is coming back from his concussion, but just in case he's not, you know, back to his normal 100%. So he doesn't play back to his normal 100%. The coach says, hey, we're about, you know, nine games in. I'm going to run you for the next few games. And we end up going, I think, four games in a row. We had four shutouts or three shutouts, and we, we beat some other team like 3-4-1 or something like that. And then, um, yeah, from that point forward, I was a starter at Davis. My sophomore year, I think the highlight of my sophomore year, we beat UCLA, who was number six in the country. Nobody gave us a chance. All of our fans were on the sideline, and, and a small school like Davis was not expected to, to do that. And we ended up going and beating them. And then uh, my senior year, we beat New Mexico, who was number, I think, number 11 in the country, too. So an exciting time. I was not the best on the team in terms of that, but it just felt good to be like you're getting rewarded for your for your hard work. Now, when I interview players, like their their stories are just like, yeah, you know, I was sitting on the bench for three years, thought I was going to quit my senior year. I kept going and I, I made it and look where I am now. For me, it's like I was lucky to just have a good trajectory. I had, you know, little dumps here and there, but it was more so of my own doing, like not passing certain classes, having to look over my shoulder, my, getting nervous every time my phone rang at like 8 a.m., seeing if that's the coach calling me about something that my grades didn't go through or something like that. <laughs> but that, and I did, what I will tell you though, is that as weird as it is, and I'm sure as you grow up, as you've gotten older, you've realized there are certain like things that you did as a kid that have, there were probably bad habits that benefited you in, the, in your life now. And I would say like doing my homework last minute or writing essays last minute, it forces you to be very creative. It forces you to under pressure, think about something good and think about something that's going to catch the audience, catch the reader. So now when I shifted, you know, after I played at Davis, I uh, worked for my parents for, I think, six, seven, eight months. And then after that, I was doing all these like get rich quick schemes. I had a lady who came to, uh, to, to Davis once and she was like, hey, this is how much, my money, uh, how much money I make in insurance. Do you want to try it? I was like, hell yeah. Why wouldn't I want to try it? That sounds amazing. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to jump into that. Jumped into that. And I realized not it was a scam, but it was just not what they, you know, what they sold it out to be. Then I had, uh, you know, a backpack chair. I went to Coachella one year and I said, hey, you know, I, I really love sitting down during a festival. So why not make a backpack that has a chair on it? So I, I made that, I got with somebody and we, we made one. I used it at Coachella, it was super cool, but it was just like, I, there's a lot more money I need to put into this and I wasn't willing to do that. So it was just like all these things for about two years, just trying to deflect from getting a real job. And finally, after those two years, my mom was just like, hey, you know, you'll still live at home. We're kind of tired of seeing you uh, every single day. We ask you how your day's going. You don't really have much information to give us. You don't really have any, uh, you know, incentive to do anything because we let you sit at home and you don't pay rent. So <laughs> she's like, she's like, we, we, you know, I, we paid a lot of money for education. You need to do something with this. So she's like, you love goalkeeping and that's like your passion. So go to a local club here with Sharif, your old coach and see if maybe he needs a goalkeeper coach and then, you know, go from there. I said, okay, yeah, sure. I went to him. He said, I have these goalkeepers that come, you know, you can run everything. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask them for the money. You have to be the boss here. You need to ask them for how much you want per hour. So I was charging like $15 an hour with these kids. I had, you know, probably twice a week, I would get four or five kids. Again, nothing crazy, but as anybody knows, when you get some money in your pocket and you're kind of calling the shots, you get more comfortable and you get more confident. And then from there, that kind of uh, segues you into bigger and better things. So I started doing that. And then in my backyard, 
which is not that big, but I had a, a goal that I used to use to, to, to train. My dad would shoot on me. So I went back there one day and I just started doing like videos of myself diving around and uh, I posted one on Instagram and then I got some traction on it and people were like, what is this technique? What are you showing us? And then I was like, you know, I loved responding to people and I was like, okay, I love this attention and like, I love the goalkeeping side of this. How can I turn this into something bigger? And then, so my brother would come out, shoot on me and I did probably like 10, 15 videos in my backyard. And then, yeah, it slowly started to build on my Instagram channel on that. At the same time, I was still getting better as a, as a coach and I started getting more confidence and started my own business, which is pro GK Academy. So like I said before, you know, in school, I was trying to write these essays last minute. So when it came to content creation, I was like, well, if I can be creative writing essays in school, I can also be creative in the content that I'm, I'm not that I'm a master at, but things that I've studied my whole life. So how can I bottle this message in an educational way, this video in an educational way and keep it where I hit all the bullet points from the start. So that's kind of how it started my YouTube channel. So then my YouTube channel started growing, my Instagram channel started growing. And then along the way, I started, you know, thinking, this is only my voice. I'm only showing people what my Omar Zini as a coach can show. So why don't I use this platform that I've created to link up with other coaches who are not as savvy with technology or just don't have the time and give them the platform? So Dean, I'll tell you, like it went from like self, like self uh, indulgence of Omar all the time to now I'm doing interviews with coaches who are coaching at Southampton in the Premier League. I was at the, uh, he was at Tim Dittmer, who has been with the United Soccer Coaches. He's been the last two conventions. Uh, he's the the head of the FA for in England for a goalkeeper. So had him on a few times during the quarantine. So it was just like, I've created this vehicle and I don't have, I'll drive it, but I don't have to be the only passenger in there. And ever since then, it's been, my YouTube channel has grown and I'm hoping in the future, I go out to MLS pre-seasons, which I've done in the past and go film different coaches who I've created relationships with, but also to my podcast, you know, I mean, just having candid conversations like we are now. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. So I watch Joe Rogan's podcast and just how, like how fluid the conversations are. And um, so I'm sure you know this as you get more and more seasoned as an interviewer, as a podcaster, you just, hey, ask the right questions and you sit back, you, you know, add some fuel to the fire here and there, get the gears running. But how often do you get uh, somebody who loves goalkeeping to just sit down and talk about goalkeeping? So that's been the evolution of, of myself as a coach. Um, hopefully some good opportunities coming up at uh, some clubs here locally. I'm hoping it works out. Can't say too much more than that. I hope it does. But uh, if it doesn't, then I have my channels, my YouTube channel, Instagram. And I haven't gotten into TikTok yet. It's a little bit, probably a little too old for that. But but yeah, so that's that's the full spiel, you know, just played, transitioned into a career that I loved. And, and here I am. You're like the Logan Paul or Mark Donor of uh, goalkeeping <laughs> on social media, right? Like you're the man as it relates to goalkeeping, creating this following. That's pretty cool, dude. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, Dean, I, I will tell you, though, it's just like, at the end of the day, though, it's just about what you want to be known for. And I think with any, I mean, with any platform, any business, there are people who, you know, will, will make content for the flashy, uh, for the viral, for, you know, the, the algorithms that are, you know, that reward you on these platforms. And more power to you. I mean, you have a, you have a mission and you want to make money. You want to you know, promote your products hundred percent. Like I'm not going to say anything negative about that, but I was, I've been very fortunate to have people around me who have said, look, you know, there's one route you can take where it's, you're almost selling your, your soul and selling out and, and you'll make, you know, quick money in the, ne in the next two, three years. Great. Or you can develop these relationships with these people who are uh, very well known and whether you want to be a coach or you want to be an influencer in the sense of, you know, bringing value to people, 
both of those pathways are open. Omar, when you think about value, when you heard that you actually got in this 30 under 30 class, and I know it's been a tough year because of COVID, but nobody can ever take this away from you. How much value do you put on that? If I was younger, I would put like a lot of value onto it. I would say this is, you know, 30 under 30 and put it on my resume and like, that's it. No more work needs to be done. <laughs> but then I, I'll tell you a story, man. I, I had this, you know, 20,000 followers on Instagram and I was so excited. And I accumulated that at a young age. Like I was probably like 24. So I was like, this is amazing. I'm just going to post that I'm doing a camp and 35, 45, you know, 100 people are going to show up because of how big the following is. So I put it out there. I go to my camp. I only have like four people show up. So it was like, a, it wasn't even a camp anymore. It was just a small gathering. And it woke me up to realize like, yes, these accolades are like these faultless following and 30 under 30 is great, but there's still so much work that needs to be done. And for me, it's like, it's great to show that I put the work in to get to this point. But like, I think if I got the award a while ago, I'd be like, okay, rest all my laurels. I'm good. But now it's one of those things where like, I'm so happy I got it. I'm so grateful. But now it's okay. What do I do with this? And how do I like, how do I make this even bigger and help influence more people? In its core though, United Soccer Coaches has a ton of people that uh, have made a big influence on the game. What does it mean to be affiliated with United Soccer Coaches? Oh man, that means everything. You know, I was on podcast row two years ago. And I remember all the, the big names that I had no idea who they were, uh, who were affiliated with that United soccer coaches. And they would just come to the table, they would sit down and talk to us. And they were just so open and so inviting. And the people who just walk around and you don't even know how much value or how much experience they have. And, you know, Lisa Cole, who's my mentor, I spoke with her a few days ago. And the questions she was asking me were so thought provoking and questions that you know, from her own experiences as a coach and as, as a goalkeeper coach and somebody who's led the licensing courses, questions she was asking me opened my mind to questions that I've never asked myself. So for me, it's that, that value that being in this program provides is people who've done it themselves and questions they have asked themselves over the years. And now they ask me those questions. And now my mind is completely opened up in a way that it wouldn't have been if I hopefully, I mean, if I wasn't accepted into this program, but luckily I have been. What I'm going to ask you to do now is promote yourself one more time, but take your time, be crystal clear on all of your platforms, say the names nice and clear, Omar, so we can promote you properly as we say goodbye. I have two podcasts, one podcast I do called Inside the 18. I would highly recommend checking that out. It's way more frequent. I do more interviews on there than I do on my personal one. My personal one is Pro GK Podcast, GK as in goalkeeper, so uh, Pro GK Podcast. On those, I do a lot of evergreen content. So again, in COVID, it was just a Q&A sometimes on Instagram. Followers would ask very generic questions um, that pertain to so many others. And those questions, uh, again, stand the test of time. So go and check those out. Then I have uh, on my own Instagram and YouTube, Pro GK Academy. Both of those, I do tutorials, I do breakdowns, I ask thought-provoking questions on graphics. And then I have my personal training, progkacademy.com. So if you wanted to reach out to me, you can reach out to me there via email, or you can reach out to me on Instagram and in, in a DM. I respond to those pretty frequently. And uh, yeah, I'm in Los Angeles in Pasadena, California. So if you're ever in the area, I've had people from the part, different parts of the world, different parts of the States, come and visit me and we train. All right, Omar Zini, he is a fast moving target. He's got it going on. Really enjoyed it, Omar. I'll tell you what, it was definitely worth the wait as um, you're the second to the last interview down to the final two Omars, but everybody said I would be pumped up talking to you and to say the <laughs> least, you were awesome. Omar Zini, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you.
All right, what a great show. I want to thank the folks from my mentor. I want to thank Matt Dunny, the Dunny Way, and 30 Under 30 member Omar Zini. With just one more Omar remaining, we'll have completed all 30 Under 30 members from this current class. For Erica Dyer, Sean Chevrolet, Bailey Conklin, Jonas Worth, and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.